Today's episode of The Mismatch is brought to you by Heineken. Heineken Original Lager is made of pure malt and their famous A yeast, which makes Heineken an all-season, all-the-time kind of beer. Oh, what is better than this weekend? You got college football starting out. You still got the Eastern and Western Conference Finals going on in the NBA. And then you got NFL Sunday going on. There is nothing better than going to the fridge and grabbing a cold Heineken, popping it, and then kick it back and watching the game. You can pick up a pack or have it delivered today and drink responsibly. This episode of The Mismatch is also supported by the FX original series Fargo. Family is complicated. Crime is organized. The all-new Fargo takes you to 1950s Kansas City, where two criminal syndicates have struck an uneasy truce as they both fight for their piece of the American dream. The new installment of Fargo, starring Chris Rock and Jason Schwartzman, premieres with back-to-back episodes September 27th at 9 p.m. on FX and streams next day, FX on Hulu. Now, The Mismatch. Welcome to the Ringer NBA Show. I'm Chris Vernon. Joining me as he does every Friday on TheRinger.com is Kevin O'Connor, a.k.a. Kevin O'Bomber, Kevin O'Climber, Kevin O'Conflict, Kevin O'Candyland, Kevin Officiating. Kevin! <laughs> What's going on, Chris? Well, I think we're both, as we're recording this after we just watched the Lakers-Denver Game 4, I think we both come to this a little underwhelmed by the way it all played out in that game. The Lakers end up winning that game by six points. They have the dreaded 3-1 lead on the Denver Nuggets. Before <laughs> before this series started, you know, Mike Malone had joked, why don't we just make it 3-1 right now? You know, why don't we just go ahead and fast forward and we'll just make it 3-1 and then we can play out the series from there. But all joking aside, this was, it was a good basketball game but it is not going to be one of those that is, I think we've been treated to an inordinate amount of extremely memorable basketball games. And I think this one was, it's kind of a mess there at the end. Denver didn't score for the last three and a half minutes. There was a lot of foul calls in that fourth too quarter. Many. Too many. Wait, wait too many. I mean, it just, it breaks up the flow Swallow your of the whistle game. sometimes, please. I get officiating's hard, but tone it down a little bit, please. Blame the Lakers. They're the ones that sent off all their stuff to the they sent their stuff off yeah. to the league saying that they weren't getting enough calls and LeBron especially. And so this is what we wrought. You knew there was gonna be something, you know, there was gonna be some level of course correction when sure. a premier franchise complains about foul calls publicly. And it's not necessarily false that LeBron wasn't getting some of the calls that maybe you expect him to get or that he has gotten in the past. But that's not why the Nuggets lost this game, though. Ultimately, it's from the amount of second chance points and second chance opportunities that the Lakers got throughout the game. Dwight Howard getting as many offensive rebounds as he did in the first half, ending with six in the total game. Rondo coming up with that clutch offensive board down the stretch of the game when he was left open. That's one of the flaws sometimes when leaving a shooter open is you don't have somebody to box them out. And Rondo being the head, the headsy player that he is, you know, weaseling his way in there into the paint and grabbing the board was a big time play. And that's where you point to Denver losing this game is lack of 
you know, defensive rebounding. And also Jokic didn't have a great game either. Yeah, they create those extra possessions. Like you mentioned, they got the 12 offensive rebounds. They also got nine steals in the game. Uh, so they were creating themselves some extra possessions. Um, you know, you look at that box, though, Kev, and it's Denver outshot them from the field. They outshot them from three. They outshot them from the free throw line. They just went less times to the free throw line. Like, all across the board, the numbers are right there, and they're in Denver's favor, except for that free throw line where, you know, the, the they end up going, the Lakers go 12 more times. They make eight more free throws. The final margin of the game is six. Now, in the end, the Lakers stopped them from scoring when it mattered most. That's that's what it came down to to me. I mean, the last LeBron three, was tremendous. Yeah, yeah well, yeah. and you know what? He took on that challenge of guarding Murray. He fouled him the one time and got away with it on the drive. Um, but other than that, he did a fantastic job on him. And, you know, you mentioned Rondo. He, I, if they don't have Rondo, they don't win this game in the second half. How many big plays? And then when they rested LeBron in that third quarter, he just like you saw the one inbounds pass that was unbelievable that got him an easy basket to KCP, I believe. You saw the alley oop that he threw to Anthony Davis. It was like LeBron went out of the game. And it just became Rondo's show. And next thing you know, they're up by nine or ten again. I thought, I thought he was just unbelievable. And this the the whole playoff Rondo thing we've talked about before. I mean, it's so real. He is just not the same player. He's just not. We watched him play throughout this regular season. The last and two years. Well, the last four years for that matter. <laughs> I mean, it's like the lights come on, and this is like a radically different basketball player than what we get used to seeing throughout the year. I think a lot of it is what's important in the playoffs. You know, you need to have guys who have high IQs, who make quick decisions. And that's what Rondo does, right? I mean, the game slows down and you need guys that you can rely on to make proper rotations on defense, who can make nice passes off the dribble, whether it's as a lead ball handler like him or as a guy just facilitating within the flow of the offense like his teammate Alex Caruso. you got to have guys like that. And, and with Rondo, I mean, I'm sure part of it is an effort thing for him, you know, just giving more effort on defense, especially man to man. But a lot of it is probably just the nature of the game changing around Rondo, which elevates some of his skills that over the course of an 82 game regular season, maybe don't have as much importance. I wonder if uh, now, so we talk about Rondo and how he brought it to the table. We always talk about the guys that play well, but you mentioned in passing also Jokic. Do you think it is do you think that the Dwight Howard starting him had this profound effect on Jokic in this game? And I say that because he was all the energy. I mean, Howard was the energy in this game for the Lakers, especially in that first half. I mean, you get to halftime and the guys already amassed a double-double and it was like coach is letting me start and you just like is it, it, it was like it, it was like he had all of this uh, pent-up energy and he's going to go prove to the coach you made the right decision. And Dwight was fantastic. I mean, you got to give him his credit. And I really thought that you just never got – you never got the Jokic we're used to in this game. And I do – I mean, you've got to wonder if 
you know, you kind of get some swagger going when JaVal McGee's in there and they're trying to like figure things out. And I, in retrospect, you wonder what the hell did they ever start JaVal McGee for? Like, seriously, what is the point? Um, because <laughs> he it never wor- comes- it worked. It worked over the full season. I mean, he just doesn't playoffs. come back in the game anyway. You know what I'm saying? Like they play him at the beginning of the game, and then like we never see him again hardly. Um, and Dwight is clearly the better player. He is the better player. I mean, maybe with Vogel, it was like you like having Howard's energy off the bench. Yeah, you know, like that's so. the logic there. You know, come off and provide a spark at a time when a starter. But do you off think he messed up Jokic for the game? I mean, it's it's weird. It, it's yeah. It's weird. I, I don't want to say like he he solely, you know, with his energy and enthusiasm on the floor and his toughness threw off Jokic. Um, I would have to I, I do get to watch the game back and yeah. see what they were doing against Jokic. But it's not that like they did anything special. You know, they weren't taking the ball away from him with double teams or constant pressure or anything like that. It was just sometimes playing him straight up and maybe sometimes the offense didn't get to him. It, it, the offense found itself through somebody else. Jamal Murray obviously had a really strong game until towards the end when LeBron got stuck on him. I'm not sure if it's really anything the Lakers did, to be totally honest with you. To me, like it stood as another game where Jokic sometimes, like we've seen this over the course of his career where sometimes he just kind of fades out. He only had 13 shots tonight. That's nowhere near as many as he needs to have. Yeah, Kev, and you look at... Just the last couple of games, okay? The fourth quarter of the last three games. So in game two, Jokic had 12 points in the fourth quarter. Games three and games four, he has zero points. He's 0 of 5 from the field. He's 0 of 1 from three-point range. And he's taken no free throws in the last two games. That's incredible. Yeah. I it mean, is. so like, you know, TNT put up the graphic losing steam, you know, like, is this is catch up? Because I've seen these numbers over the course of the past couple of days with LeBron, right? Which is getting when tired you are in fourth asked, quarters, yeah. yeah, and when you're asked to do this every single night and you've got to deliver that these guys are wearing down. And by the time they get to the fourth quarter, I mean, it stands to reason. How is how has Jokic got zero points in the fourth quarter of the last two games and is 0 of 5 from the field. I mean, that is, that's incredible. Yeah, it is. I mean, maybe in two he just games? Wanted, maybe he just wanted to be down 3 to 1. <laughs> He's just sabotaging because he yeah. knows. Now we have them right where we want them. Exactly. But I mean, this exactly. is for the guy that we came, we came on and we did the show last week. And one of the things we talked about was, He's moved into a guy that you can throw the ball to and he can get his own shot. This guy can deliver down the stretch. Not only is he not delivering down the stretch, he's not delivering in the entire fourth quarter the last two games. I mean, that is implausible to me. I wonder how much of it, like mentally for him, was the foul trouble tonight. He did have five fouls for quite a while in that fourth quarter. Was he, you know, kind of taking it a little easy so he wouldn't fall out, hoping to save it for the end. You know, that type of thing. That can happen. Yeah. Some guys get affected when they have that many fouls on them and takes them out of the game. Could have been that. Could have been a lot of different things. Bottom line, though, is that they needed more from him. They needed more team rebounding to stop the Lakers. And ultimately, one of the moves that helped win the game for the Lakers was, you know, Vogel said after the game that LeBron asked for the assignment to defend Jamal Murray. And he completely came through there. He did a great job defending him 
man to man when Murray, like some of those shots Murray hit tonight, man, like that's some wizardry, man. How do you do some of that? That was a, uh, well, you know, look, we know that down the stretch, it's a two man game, but the last two games, it's been a one man game. It's been him. And it's, he's either delivering for them or he's not. Um, All right. So they're in a familiar spot. They're down three, one. I still don't, I still don't count them out completely. Are you giving them zero percent? Zero no, point. I don't. What percent don't chance do you give Denver? This the the Jokic thing is alarming, Kev. Come on, bro. I mean, no points in two fourth quarters in a row. Yeah, that's that that is alarming, and so that makes me a lot less confident. But I look. I mean, I could go ahead and spoil because we're going to get to the East Finals too. I. I would be surprised if both of these series don't see a sixth game. I would. I would be surprised. I, I mean, I just think that it's three. Uh, now, do they close? Do both teams get closed out in a game six? I, I think so, right? But in terms of just flip-flopping throughout the series, you know, and when you're up 3-1, we talked about this um, when they were down 2-0. Just psychologically, it is hard when you are coming off a win, it's hard to just close somebody out and have that total killer instinct, like my back's against the wall, must win mentality. Typically, that is only reserved for the team. And we talked about how you can't fake desperation. I think Denver will probably come out as a desperate team. You'll probably get a different Jokic for next game because, you know, you lose and this whole thing is over. Um, so I wouldn't count them out completely. I do I think they're going to come back and win the series? This is a bridge too far. I mean, frankly, I thought the Clippers was a bridge too far, but I do think this is going to be a bridge too far for them um, to do it three times in a row. Nobody's done it two times in a row. So sure. yeah. banking against them doing three times, I'm not exactly going out on a limb. Of course. I, and, I, would, be, well, I, I would be surprised if they just get disposed of in the next game, though, because, I mean, they're right there. They could have won this game tonight, and they could have won, and obviously. could have won the other one as well. Yeah, right. They lost on a Anthony Davis shot. Yep. I mean, ultimately, though, like you can't rule out Denver from winning a game or even two. I mean, they've been in these games. They sure. could very well be tied in this series or, you know, and maybe even 3-1. You know, if you run simulations of this a, a thousand times, maybe they're up 3-1, you know. But if I'm a Lakers fan, you know, you're feeling good being up 3-1 and obviously you want to close them out in five. But I feel like watching this series, LeBron doesn't seem a hundred percent to me right now. Doesn't seem 100%. AD turned his ankle tonight. Did not look a hundred percent afterwards. If you're a Lakers fan, I, I would be wanting to get this over with to maximize any amount of potential rest you'd get before the heat or Celtics series, likely heat. Obviously they're up three, one as well, but also just because, you know, Miami, assuming it's them is pro- presents a greater issues on the defensive end of the floor for you, the Lakers offense and this Lakers offense. And some of these fourth quarters get so stagnant ball stops, moving players stop moving. It looks like bad offense. And if I'm a Lakers fan, yeah, you want to win because you want to advance to the finals, but you also want to win to show that this team can stomp its foot down when it needs to against a team. That's going to be throwing every single thing they have at you. That's what Denver's going to do this yeah. next game to try to get back into it. The Lakers have to show that they could elevate to that level for this next series in the NBA finals. 
the other thing is Kev, like I mean, I, I look their their defense was impressive. There's yes. no way around that. The right? offense the is not right now. It's just there's nothing that they did where you thought, oh wow, you know. Like, and they also, I don't know how you feel. They don't have something they go to. You know what I mean? I know Jokic wasn't there for it tonight, but like, you know, they they talked about how the uh, at one point the broadcasters were talking about how. Denver's been in a million close games. Like, you know what's coming. Like, this is what they're going to They're going to run everything off of this, um, this two-man game. Whereas it feels way too much equal opportunity to me with the Lakers. And and this could show back up when they're playing against, you know, somebody in, 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 in an NBA Finals, or it may show up in a game five or a game six against Denver, you know, you get them in these close games and it's like, what is their go-to? And even with two minutes to go, it's a friggin' KCP pump fake step to the side three. And it's like, what the hell? Like it's a, this is a, this is a four point game. This is a five point game. Like they don't just say, all right, Throw it to Anthony Davis and get us home. Or well, they did the other night. They did. I win. know they did. The they did it though. Like they can. They did it though, to- Kev. They didn't. If Jamal Murray doesn't block Danny Green, the last three shots of those that game were going to be taken by KCP Caruso, Caruso and Danny too, yep. Green. But it was is, only it, by it virtue. It was a lot of AD though. It was a lot of him down the stretch though. Right, but not the last two minutes. The last three shots of that game were all these guys where it would have been like, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting there screaming at the team. Like, why are you just not giving it to friggin' Anthony Davis? And they, they weirdly just don't, you know what I mean? Like LeBron doesn't just like clear out. I'm taking over and they don't just clear out and like kind of hard to clear out with a lack of spacing. And that's I get part it. of the problem too. You know, I get it. But I mean, it's like a, it's a KCP three and then a, you know, uh, it's a Rondo offensive rebound or it's like, I mean, like the shots they get and the players that take them are not, not great. Not great. Yeah, and, and I, and like, like, like I just said, like LeBron also doesn't seem 100% to me. I mean, he's still obviously awesome at whatever percentage, you know, he is right now, but I, I doesn't seem like he has full trust in himself physically nor does it seem like he has full trust in himself as a perimeter shooter at the moment oh boy he's reluctant from three for a guy for i mean they're Giannis numbers they are his three-point shooting numbers are Giannis numbers and think about how we think of Giannis. Uh, i think we certainly elevate lebron to a higher status than Giannis in terms of leaving him open but i mean he the, the misses the lebron three misses and the fadeaway misses like they're just not even close. They're like front rimmers. They're air balls. They're total bricks. Like, it's just odd. It's odd. And and maybe you're right. And I think that, look, certainly some of that has to be fatigue. It's year whatever it is, 17 for him. And you've played a million games in this bubble back to back to back. I mean, there's some kind of correlation that's going on with these fourth quarters. We, he's been there for it long enough for us to know he's not a shrinking violet when it comes to fourth quarters. Something is up, and <laughs> I don't know. I I I still just I, I watch them, and I don't I I don't come away from that game going not nearly as impressed as I was, say with Miami, right? Where you're like, 
God bless. They could throw it to five different guys that might knock down that shot. And, I, and I'll tell I you feel, what, that, that's why Miami's got a shot. They got yes, a shot. For like, sure I they mean, do. I, I, watching this Lakers team, you watch them, it's like they feel a little tired. The Heat, on the other hand, I mean, they're full of energy, man, across the roster. They also don't, like that Lakers team, you never see them whipping the ball around to the extra shot. You know what I'm saying? Like where you see that so much and you see that a lot with Boston. You see that a lot with Miami. You saw it a lot with Toronto. You even saw it with Milwaukee. Like those Eastern teams, they the, the Western Conference has played a lot more isolation basketball. And maybe that's just because of the sheer star power in the Western Conference. But how many times do you see like a four pass possession on the, uh, the, the Lakers have? Like never. Like I'd be never. curious to see the numbers, you know. Never. Uh, I, know I don't think like, I don't think they've ever had a, a, a possession where they passed it four or five times. We don't have access to second spectrum data. I wish we did. That would be amazing. It would elevate what we're able to do on the show and at the. We're just trusting but, my eyeballs. But, well, yeah, my but, eyeballs but, are third spectrum yes, data. Yes, they, they are third <laughs> spectrum. But second spectrum does have the numbers behind yeah. it. I know we trust third spectrum from Chris Vernon the most, but yes. I would love to see the numbers from Second Spectrum for like possessions with a shot attempt after, you know, seven passes. Oh, God, you know, never. You know, like, That's never happened. Well, you remember they used to chart that in Golden State. That was a big thing. What did he want to get to? I can't even remember the number anymore. Was it 170 passes or something? It was something, like something, that, yeah. it was something crazy. Some, some obscene number. They yeah. had some yeah. number. It might have been more uh, and, like 300 or something. <laughs> and, and Well, and there was a correlation between when we get to this number, we win like crazy. And it does yeah. show us how much we're sharing the ball. Whereas, think of, think, of a, think of a Lakers possession where they pass the ball. And for that matter, the Nuggets aren't exactly whipping the ball around everywhere either, right? This has been a lot of individual. Uh, and, and on the Nugget side, I mean, it was... It was Murray or it was felt like the only other ones I really remember outside of like a Jeremy Grant, you know, three here or a Millsap play there were the Porter ones where he got Kuzma to fly by him, you know, mm -hmm. like other than that, do you remember any kind of like great team basketball where these teams are whipping it around and getting, I mean, I mean every team has different styles and, you know, they I play to their, to their strengths in some ways, but like. To the to the point overall point we're talking about with the fourth quarter offense, that's where you would like to see some of that movement. And often for the Lakers in fourth quarters, they just become so stagnant and they start running actual offensive sets. And and I wonder, like, is that a vocal issue? Is that a coaching problem? Is it a, a player chemistry problem? Is it just clashing of skills? Is it just a, a lack of shooting and what the defense does? Odds are it's all of it. It's all of it. And in and, and one way or another, and maybe against different opponents, it's one thing more than the other thing. But the fact is, is the Lakers, if they make the NBA finals, which in all likelihood they will, against Miami, they're going to have to get that fourth quarter offense better than we've seen last couple of games against the Nuggets because well, it's been really tough to watch that. You've seen it a lot over the course of LeBron's career too, though. You have. I mean, the team does – you're going to play as LeBron plays, and LeBron will pound the ball into the ground and, you know, drive and make the one pass, and then you're expected to make that shot. Um, and there might be a swing pass. There might not. But, like, 
that's pretty well. It's kind of like a clear out. And now it's his show. And that's the other thing that, you know, we'll find out on the fourth quarters how often he's able to deliver. Because, you know, there's no mystery is who's starting that possession with the ball in their hands. It's just a matter of when they collapse on him, he chucks it out and you're expected to make that shot, you know, but that's been like that. LeBron teams have never been known for their fantastic ball movement and, and, and moving and like, you know, setting screens for each other, cutting to the basket. It's just LeBron and four guys that stand around and he throws it to him and you better hit the damn shot. You which it can't, that. which it, which it can't be. Um, well, maybe not it, in year seventeen. I mean, it might not be well, able to well, be yeah, that, right? Well, or I mean, or it depends on the personnel too. Like this Lakers, you know, shooting around him is probably not up to what even some of those Cleveland teams were. Never mind the Miami teams, and and that's where I think Vogel probably needs to get this team moving. There was one possession, I believe, in the fourth quarter where all four Lakers on the floor were just staring at LeBron. They were ball watching LeBron. You can't be doing that. You need to be setting off ball screens to get guys open or cutting off ball. And there's none of that. And against a team like the heat next round, assuming both of them advance, it's just got to be better. It's got to be better. Or my, or Miami's going to make it a much longer series than I think it should be for the Lakers with the sheer talent they have in AD and LeBron James. They have pro- unarguably the two best players in that potential series, but Miami might have the next five or six or maybe even seven. I mean, how, depending on how you want to rank them, it's not. It's going to be a tough series next round, assuming they both advance. All right. Well, we will talk about <laughs> if we think Miami is going to advance. We'll do that <laughs> right after these words. Today's episode of The Mismatch is brought to you by Heineken. Heineken would like to remind you that it's time for seasonal beers again. That's right. If you thought the cold, crisp summer Heineken was something, just wait until you see the Heineken fall lineup. Is it a new product? No, just the same great tasting lager that's perfect for any season. Heineken is perfect for this time of the year. It just turned fall. We got football going on all over the weekend. We got the NBA conference finals going on, and then we'll have the NBA finals going on. This is the best sports time of the year, and there's nothing better than going to the fridge and grabbing a cold Heineken. I grab a cold Heineken after every episode of The Mismatch, whether we record it in the morning or at night, after my face gets blistered by Kevin Oh, hot takes, hot takes. I need an ice cold Heineken. Heineken Original Lager is made of pure malt and their famous A yeast, which makes Heineken an all season, all the time kind of beer. So pick up a pack or get it delivered, whatever your style, and drink responsibly. This episode is also supported by the FX Original Series Fargo. Family is complicated, crime is organized. With a brand new cast featuring Chris Rock and Jason Schwartzman, FX's Emmy and Golden Globe winning series from the creator Noah Hawley returns with an all-new installment that explores the complexities of immigration, assimilation, power, and what it means to pursue the American dream. Set in 1950s Kansas City, the new installment of Fargo tells the original tale of two criminal syndicates that control an alternate economy of exploitation, corruption, and drugs striking an unusual peace. To cement their truce, the heads of the black crime family and Italian mafia agree to a unique gesture of good faith, the trading of their youngest sons. 
But will the agreement last as the tension between the two warring families escalates? Fargo premieres with back-to-back episodes September 27th at 9 p.m. on FX and streams next day FX on Hulu. And now back to the best match. All right, Kev. So you've already put the Miami Heat in the finals. You're done. You're done with Jason Tatum and the Celtics. You don't think they could come back? I, I think Celtics take one. I think they take one, like we talked about win. earlier with, with Denver taking one. Um, you don't think they can win three Boston, in a row? I don't think you can win three in a row against the Heat. I would be I would be shocked if the Heat dropped three in a row. I mean, crazier things have happened, man. I mean, we just saw Denver do it twice, so you never know. Like you can't say no here, but with the way Miami defends and when the, with the way they bring effort every single night of the floor. I mean, that first half, it felt like Boston was asleep. Mm-hmm. You know, they missed some opportunities there with Miami. The Tatum thing was just with, strange. It, it was just very was odd. Because, he, you know, he he totally deserved that video that you put out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the timing of that was just unbelievable. And then he comes out. He's like throwing the ball away. He's yeah, 0 of 6. It was so just weird. What What has happened? What has happened? Is he watching Kevin O'Connor videos too much or something? But he... He came out and just was a shell of himself. He just looked like what this. We I mean, haven't seen the, this guy. The, the entire in a ESPN long time. halftime show was like, "Is he hurt? What's wrong? <laughs> What's going on with Tatum?" The whole halftime show, and then he came in, came out and scored twenty eight in the second half, it just, which was it wasn't, awesome. It, it was awesome, but also you know the dud in the first half is one of the reasons why they weren't able to build a lead at a time where Miami wasn't really able to get anything going. Yeah, and you saw that game was still, I mean, look, it's hip duck. It's This is possession yeah. by possession down the stretch, and it's just who's going to make the plays. And Miami, come on. I mean, Tyler Hero had 37 friggin' points. Yeah, he's... he's uh, <laughs> 37. I mean, he, that is one of those where you're not counting on that happening, right? I mean, when you have, you, you know, look, a 20... A 25, that would be exceptional, right? If you got that out of a guy like Tyler Hero. A 37 is extreme and obviously extreme. I couldn't believe when they when they did the walk-off interview last night and they said, uh, you know, they were talking about how, do, how does it make you feel? It's the most points scored by a rookie in a conference final since Magic Johnson. And I was like, what the hell? Yeah. Like, Bro, that is 40 years ago. Mm-hmm. 40. Nobody in 40 years. Think of all the amazing players that have come through the league. No, nobody as a rookie has scored that many points at a conference finals since Magic friggin' Johnson. I was like, that is literally historic. I mean. And, and like – it's not that he got a bunch of spot up threes or, you know, layups and transition on a leak out. Yep. He was making superstar plays. Yes. Getting to the rim, using hesitations, Euro steps, pull ups off a dime at the free throw line, step backs from three point land. I mean, it was a remarkable, remarkable performance. I, I- Kev, and somebody could probably go find this, but at the beginning of the playoffs, we were talking about, I remember in the Utah series, we were talking about Donovan Mitchell and how much we liked him, but we didn't see him, you know, it it would have been outlandish to think he's a guy that's scoring 50. And I said, Kevin, this would be like if we look up in four years 
and Tyler Hero scoring 50 in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I mean, he's not that far off. No. He's not that far. I mean, I don't know, four years. It might not take him four years till he gets 50 in a playoff game. This guy, yeah, here's the, and this is going, I don't know if you've heard this, but this is going to stun you if it hasn't. I think it's going to stun the listeners. Not only, because I think people say, this guy can score, man. Like, this guy is a fantastic scorer and he can get to the basket and he can knock down threes and he can hit the step backs and he's got the shifty moves, but he is so much more than a scorer because this is, this is the shocking part. He is second on that team in rebounding and he is first in assists during this deal. I mean, that is unbelievable, Mm -hmm. unbelievable Tyler hero. So he ain't just scoring. He does everything and is doing it at this rate that is like, you know, first or second on the team in these other categories, which is not what you would ever expect for a guy, especially a perimeter player like him, who's not a point guard. So you wouldn't necessarily think he'd be high in assists. And certainly the rebounding thing is crazy. He's another one of those players where you're like, how do do 12 teams miss this guy? You know, oh, like, like you and, and, and 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 my and I missed too. I had him ranked in, I believe, the lower mid twenties in my rankings last year. And you know, I look back at that, and it's like I look at my pluses and minuses that I had for him, and it's like, I mean, spot on in terms of like the evaluation, but the ranking is so off. You're talking about a guy who's six foot six who can shoot off the dribble, create his own shot, shows playmaking skills, uh, reportedly, like you know from all the feedback and until you get a hard worker. It's like, what was I thinking? What were these teams thinking? It's just, these guys fall so much. Here's the thing. I'm glad you brought this up because I did a little research project during halftime of the game tonight because I was thinking about this a lot. So he fell in that range and there have been an inordinate amount of times over the last couple of years where we've said that. How did this many teams miss on the guy? And so I went back and I looked and I charted the last 10 drafts. And the reason this was especially fascinating to me beyond the hero uh, correlation is you have said that you think that back half of the lottery is a sweet spot this year. This year, and yes. So, yep. so I went back and looked and I'm like, what if it's the sweet spot every year and you go back and look. And so like two years ago, right. We have Shea Gilders, Alexander. We have Michael Porter jr. Who looked like he looked like a player tonight, you know, in his short amount of minutes, it could turn out. And then you had Jerome Robinson was probably a miss. And then you had the two bridges, miles bridges, Mikel bridges. Right. So that was 10. These are picks 10 through 15. Right. So three years ago, you had Collins monk Kennard. Donovan Mitchell, Bam Adebayo. The year before, DeMontis Sabonis has already, you know, been an all-star in the league. Um, The year before, Devin Booker. The year before, it was kind of a down year for the draft, 14. But it still had Zach Levine and TJ Warren, two guys that we'd say, how the hell did they drop, you know, compared to what they've done in the NBA. Uh, 2013, CJ McCollum. Steven Adams, uh, and then, of course, the 15th pick was Giannis. 2012, that was a kind of a down year 
in the draft, honestly. But, I mean, there's been guys that have had careers. Jeremy Lamb, Myers Leonard, Austin Rivers, these kind of guys. 2011, Clay Thompson. And the 15th pick, Kawhi Leonard. And then the 2010, Paul George. I mean, like, this isn't, this isn't like just <laughs> a couple of guys. These are best players on teams. And that's over the last 10 years from, from Donovan Mitchell to Devin <laughs> Booker to Giannis to, to Kawhi to Clay Thompson to Paul George. I mean, that's insane. <laughs> it, insane. It, it, makes you, it makes you realize that obviously the draft is, is A, an inexact science. It is not hard to do. But B, <laughs> these NBA front offices don't know how to do this any more than any of us do. <laughs> I mean, it really is outrageous, though, to think. Yeah. like Those are a who's who of the yeah. NBA. Clearly, with Gian- I mean, Giannis and Kawhi. For sure. Right? But, but even I mean, if you take them out of it. Even if you take them out of it. And now you look again, and we got a kid that scores 37 last night who everybody's like, geez, if you did a redraft, he may go in the top three or four. You know, yeah. which is true. You probably would yep. go in this. I mean, I, I, I mean, it's it's so easy to look back at hindsight, but I look back and it's like, what was I thinking? I thought this even during the season. Forget about what we're seeing. This is like a new year. It just is. He's gotten better from where he was in March. He has improved as a ball handler. That's tighter than it was before. He's making tougher shots off the dribble. He looks like a more dynamic overall shooter. But what he was from October to March, even then, it's like, what was I thinking? Yeah, having well, him where and, I was, and I'm sure a lot. Of, I know a lot of people in the league that I've talked to had him ranked around where I did. You know, he didn't fall that far, but you know yeah, what's so crazy, crazy, Kev, is you look and you see with with him. The Heat have been a team that over the years have punted on picks. Like they, I think you would say they have they have valued the draft less than other teams. They figure they'll find, they can find players, right? And yet over the course of the last three years, you watch last night, three of their guys in their top seven rotation are Bam Adebayo, who they took, what, 14th or something like that in the draft, an undrafted free agent the next year in Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero, who they took 13th. I mean, that is unbelievable that you you're that is not when you think about like oh uh you were you you think of like Kevin Durant Russell Westbrook and Jeff Green like you got like three top five picks and so yeah this is going to develop into something but when you can get top seven rotation guys on an awesome team in a conference final that you got as the 13th pick, the 14th pick, and an undrafted player, like it speaks to their insane player development, but also their ability to (laughs) nail that pick. Because that's just, like if you just, if you got that once in three years, if you got, if if those were your picks, if I told you one year you're going to have 13, one year you're going to have 14, one year you're going to get an undrafted free agent, you would hope that you get a rotation player, hopefully two, out of that. You know, they got three in their top seven, which is crazy. And and you know, heat culture. People talk about you know from top down in the organization, Pat Riley and all that. You know that that's that's a real thing. But part of heat culture is finding 
people, you know, who have that mindset and bring them into your organization. Right. That's what they've done in the draft with finding people who naturally work hard, who would work hard no matter what their their environment is, no matter what their, you know, situation is with teammates, veterans, you know, coaches, whatever. And they're bringing them into a situation that matches their personality. Oh, yeah. And and is fostering this great player development from everybody on the entire team. I mean, we're seeing it right now in the playoffs from Bam Adebayo. He is showing more on the offensive end with some of the mid-range shots that he's hitting than he had to over the course of the season. There's more to his game that is going to get developed as they invest in him and he invests in himself over the years. This team is only going to get better well, than, than being one one win away from the finals. It's insane. Their, their, their team, their, their culture, their organization, it does deserve an immense amount of credit. Of course. Um, to the point where you know this could have gone a totally different way. I, it, like I, I look at it and I watched last night and I know this is going to sting a little bit because you love him so much, but that is exactly what Devin Booker could be doing. You know that as well as I do. The guy's, it's a, it's a, it's a wasted six years that he's spent right now. He's never even played in the playoff game yet. Sure. Right. And, and it's and just that, by that's virtue. It's unfortunate. Yeah. No, it's just by virtue. He landed there. I, I look, I, I, I'm not as big a Booker fan as you are, but I also understand that Tyler Hero, if that's Devin Booker that gets to go to Miami or San Antonio or Indiana or some of the uh, Utah, some of these other places that these other guys have succeeded, like the ones that have gone, it, I, I don't think that there is all those guys that I listed off outside of Booker, every one of them has gone to a great situation for them to maximize their potential, right? They haven't played for a million coaches. They haven't turned over a million front offices. And so maybe it's a different story for, uh, you know, Donovan Mitchell or Bam Adebayo or Clay Thompson or Giannis or Kawhi or whoever, right? So, I mean, it is opportunity and fit. We talk about all the time, but, you know, it's just, I, I don't think that there's, a bunch of other guys that could be scoring 37 in a conference finals. So you got to give Tyler Hero credit for that. Absolutely. But he's also yeah. in a great spot. No doubt about it. And, you know, just one quick note on Booker. There's like the pros and cons of the situation he was in. The pros being that he was on a bad team. He was empowered to do things that he wasn't asked to do in college, you know, on the uh, with the ball in his hands, pick and roll. And he's gotten so much better at that over the years, especially as a passer and a finisher and all that. He was, he was given the opportunity that he wouldn't have been on a good team. But the con is, is that like, you don't have any of that continuity. You're not playing winning basketball. You're not getting those, those reps and that experience against the best opponents in the league, whether it's in the playoffs or even in a quote unquote, big regular season game, you know, where they're giving it all not just, Oh, we're going to Phoenix, you know, that's right. And, and, and with Booker, that's also what makes his development so amazing is that he did do that with so many coaches and so many changing pieces around him. But you well, know, it just means he was he, immensely talented and he can exactly. overcome that and, because a and, lot and of it these might guys, have happened anywhere. It might have happened anywhere. Maybe. Him. How about all these other names, though? And that's when you that's when you do the I wonder how much different it would be. Right. Let's say Tyler Hero was off the board and they have to take somebody different. Now, he's probably not succeeding in that manner. But with these other guys that we have talked about and where they got drafted, whether it was 
uh, you know, guys that we have liked in the past, like a like a Denzel Valentine or a Zach Levine or TJ Warren, who just came into his own on a big stage, right? Getting to play in the playoffs and obviously had a real moment there in the bubble. Um, CJ McCollum landed in a perfect spot. But I mean, there's a bunch of guys that, geez, what if it would have been a little bit different? What if they would have gone to one of these franchises that, you know, was really set up, invested in them, same front office, same coach for a while. Um, let's get to the actual, uh, uh, yeah, obviously we went off on a tangent about the hero thing because it's so fascinating. Um, what about Boston? What is what has disappointed you the most about them finding themselves in this situation? They got to be better against the zone. Simple as that. They had a long gotta, time off. Got to be better against the zone. Yeah, they had a long time off <laughs> to prepare yeah, for Wednesday's game. And no different, really. They, they got some open looks, to be fair. And they did yep. well against it in the fourth quarter. But overall, the full duration of the game, the full duration of the series, Celtics got to be better against the zone. And they'd probably be up in the series if they had done their job from the start. It really feels like they should have been able to install something that is, we run this play against that and we get a bucket, right? And we're going to get them out of this zone quick. We know exactly what we're going to do when they go into this to punish them. And it didn't feel like they have this I think they have like a theory of what they want to do rather than the exact thing they want to do to attack this. That's still how it felt. It still didn't feel decisive, right? It still felt like they were thinking about what they need to do to defeat this rather than just going in. Oh, you want to go into a zone? We're ready for this now. You're dead. Yeah, like it never felt that way. It, it feels like they're constantly thinking. It feels like they're taking the shots that Miami wants them to take and that they're allowing them to take sometimes. So even though, though it's open, Miami might be okay with it. And, you know, look, with Stevens, he's a tremendous coach, I think. He, he's a top-level coach in the league, but he's a level below Spolstra, Stevens, Nurse, some of those guys. I, I have a hard time, you know, rationalizing these two thoughts in my mind. Like, Stevens is a great coach and they're not unable to just pick apart the zone defense here. You know, Miami deserves immense credit here too. They are defending on a string, but it feels like Boston should be able to do so much more than score 0.9 points per possession, which is what they're doing in the series, according to synergy against that heat zone defense. And I wonder how much of that is players inability to adapt to facing the zone. Think about like how, infrequently a lot of these guys throughout their young lives playing basketball have faced zone one year in college basketball, depending on what you played in AAU or, or, or high school, everybody's experience is different, but it's probably at the least it's been a long time since they've seen zone or it's the first time they're ever seeing great zone defense. So I, I have a hard time, you know, pointing the finger at any one person here like Stevens or the players when there's so many variables at play here, the bottom line though is they got to get this fixed to have any chance, any chance at coming back from down three, one. Well, what, I mean, look, we, we argued about this before the series started. And I said, outside of that Oklahoma city team, which had crazy, crazy talent, like young teams led by young players are just typically not in the NBA finals. And that may be what befells 
Denver too, you know, led by a 24 and a 22 year old that typically you are, you're, you're, you've got a lot of guys that are veteran guys. Now that is not to say that young players can't contribute like you saw Tyler Hero do last night, but down the stretch, you see, I, there's just a confidence that comes with veteran teams that is different, you know? And, and then there's, there's a lot less, th- you know, that stuff you talk about where you're thinking about stuff. It feels like there's a lot less thinking and a lot more just playing right when, when it comes down. And I even think last night, you know, this was not a small thing to me that, what was it like 10 seconds left or, or maybe it was less than that. And Boston took like an extra, I mean, they let, they let three seconds burn off the clock before they ever fouled. They would add more time there at the end of that game in order to get another shot off. I mean, it was only a three-point margin, right? And they would have had more time. But it's just sometimes young players, they're not – the level of awareness is just not the same, especially when you're led by – you're counting on them. Because as much as Kemba's good and Gordon Hayward's good, yeah, we know. It, that's a, that's a Jalen Tatum show. And I swear, Jalen Brown, I'm going to say this for that Joker has to be shooting like a hundred percent on. <laughs> we are down by six yeah. threes. You know what I'm saying? Like it, it, they are down by five. I swear to God, they keep, the guy hits a three every time, it's or they're amazing. down by six. <laughs> and he hits, he's got to be a hundred percent. Like the game is just about to be over. It's just out of range, and that dude hits a three like every time he makes the shot. And you're like, oh, this game ain't over yet. Like it's over and over again throughout these playoffs. He hits those threes every time I think the game's over. Jalen Brown hits a three. It's happened so many times. It's crazy. Yeah, with Jalen, it feels like he's definitely hitting a hundred percent of those. And with Boston, this is this is what's so frustrating about them. They go from end of games, like this is a team that is giving 100% effort, grinding on defense, you know, playing decisive offense, hitting, you know, clutch shots a lot of the time at the end of games. And then other times it feels like they're just not totally plugged in. In that first half, we saw that. We've seen that so many other times throughout the playoffs. Miami's a team that switch is always flipped on. With Boston, it feels like sometimes it dims a little bit. I, and their star power especially with Tatum and what he's going to look like in two, three, four years is going to be a lot different. But we talked about they they clearly lose the depth war when it comes to, and, and Spolstra tightened it up even last night. Like they didn't have to play a ton of guys in that game. But he, even he when tried get, Solomon Hill in the first half and yeah. then didn't use him in the second half, only went with seven guys. And right. Seven guys and then Hill for four minutes. Yes. And then you've got, I mean, and Wanamaker was not, I mean, is not a nothing, right? I mean, he's still, he's still been okay, but I mean, it, they're just, they're short on guys once they get past their top five guys. And I, I know that they were installed as the favorite, even if it was a slight favorite, but I'm not watching this thinking Boston's blowing this. Boston should be winning this series. I'm not. Are you watching this thinking Boston should be winning this series? I mean, I really think that Miami is playing better team basketball. And then I mean, it should probably be 2-2. These games are so close, and then the veteran team is 
taking care of business. That's yeah, how I feel. for sure. And, I mean, I think with Boston going into this next game, obviously have to be better at the zone. That goes without saying. But in terms of the minutes aspect, you mentioned Spolstra trimming his rotation. If I'm Brad Stevens here, I think it's time to trim. It's time to trim. Go with seven. No Wanamaker anymore. And stop messing around with Ojale, Grant Williams, and pick one big depending on your preference. Maybe it ends up being eight guys because you use a different big for different situations. But it should, you know, strictly be really, you know, six plus one, depending on the situation. And I feel like Wanamaker's been solid. He's not a zero, like you said. But now is the time where those minutes in which Wanamaker's handling the ball, you want Tatum handling the ball. You want Brown handling the ball. You want Kemba handling the ball. Up their minutes some more and get the ball into the hands of your best players for as many possessions as possible. It's really the only way you're going to come back in the series. I would be stunned, and I say this as someone who really loves that Miami team, but I would be stunned if there is not a game six. And I would not be I would not be surprised if there was a game seven, honestly. This I wouldn't is either. Very, this I really is wouldn't very, either. Very, this is very close. These teams, this is a great, great matchup. I don't think, I know that the 3-1 lead is a dominating lead. But I do not think it is an indicative of like I thought Miami, I thought that they could have played five more games against Milwaukee and they'd have won four of them. Like I just thought that they had their number and that they that that was not to me, um, that was not competitive in the same sense that this is, where I look at these games and go, boy, that could have gone the other way. Like this could be, and I feel that way. And so Again, backs against the wall. I'd be surprised if Boston doesn't have a grand slam effort for game six. And then you get to a game six, you probably got you another close know. game. And you never know. You, could. Hey, you never you never know. And and like you said to your point about this being a close series, through the four four games so far, Miami has four hundred and forty one points. Boston has four hundred and forty one points. Oh wow. It's tied. Yeah. So it's not necessarily fair to look at, oh, they're handling them because they're up three. Yeah. Points. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, Boston, I, I feel like they should be tied two to two right now. That game one was the game that felt like it really slipped from them going to overtime in that game one. That felt like the not as much game two, but game one, they should have taken that game. Well, and the difference between, you know, three to one and two to two is Jason Tatum about to tomahawk on Bam out of bio and he blocks it instead. Exactly. Right. Exactly. I mean, Sometimes it can come down to one play. And honestly, the difference between three to one and two to two is Anthony Davis hitting a friggin' huge three. Exactly. Right? So sometimes it's one play. And so you can't get too bent out of shape and think about how much needs to change with these teams. It's frankly going to come Absolutely. down to when the, when the teams are this good, it's going to come down to a play or two. And you either make it or you don't. But that doesn't that doesn't have to change the grand narrative all that Absolutely. much. Absolutely. And, and and that's why, you know, as much as it's a coach's cliche, it, it really is a one game at a time attitude. Yeah. You know, if you're Denver, you know, in your series against Utah and then against the Clippers, you're feeling like you had opportunities. You just have to think one game at a time. And that's it. You can't think, win all three games in one night. And for the Celtics and for the Nuggets now, both being down three to one, it wouldn't shock me if we get a seven in either of them. I mean, I, I think I'd be a little bit more surprised with that Lakers series, but with the problems that we are already hit, LeBron and AD 
maybe in a little fatigue, ate his ankle. Maybe he says he feels fine. We'll see how he feels in two days. Yep. Um, you never know. But with Boston, it is sometimes, you know, unfortunate plays or great plays that the opponent makes. But there's tweaks around the edges that oftentimes win a series. And whether that's minutes or better attacking of the zone or Tatum not having a stinker of a first half or smart, maybe making, you know, a couple more passes and, and taking a fewer shots. That's what wins you a game and thus a series is what happens around the edges. Did we hear anything about Bam out of bio? I mean, it was it a I, I believe he's I believe he's going to play, but I, I don't know if we got any. Actual I mean, his arm was immobile. Was. At the end of that game, he didn't even like try on like the jump ball. And it just, it, it looked like it was just hanging from his side. I don't know. Maybe he got a stinger or something, but, and obviously they are very protective of any kind of news. And especially if Bam Adebayo was hampered, it, it, it's not like we would know about it. Here's what Spolster said today. He's icing his body right now. That's where we are. He'll be ready to go. It's a little bit of everything. This is a physical series. He'll be ready to go. A lot of ice, according to uh, Spolstra, okay. for, for what they're doing. No x-ray, no MRI, oh, that's good. no update at all. So he must be fine, or they're just saying, hey, stop asking about it. <laughs> Which they, they did a pretty other, good job. Yeah. And he, they yes. look, they, they achieved that. They got everybody to stop asking yes, about it. Right? Absolutely. And yep. then they're going to come out, and they're going to say he's got a broken arm or something. <laughs> <laughs> Played through it. Played through it, you know? <laughs> uh, we're going to take one more quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about Billy Donovan getting that Bulls job, and Kevin report on Mike D'Antoni and if we're going to see him again on a sideline very soon. We'll do that after these words. This episode of The Mismatch is brought to you by Square. If you run a business or are thinking about starting one, Square has tools to help you take contactless payments and get paid fast. For your in-person sales, Square can help you switch to contactless payment like Apple Pay and contactless cards with touch-free hardware for your counter, curbside, or on the go. If you want to skip the hardware altogether, Square can help you create shareable checkout links that customers can open on their phones. Then it's just like online shopping. Customers simply enter their payment info and pay. When it comes to taking payments online, Square has a bunch of tools to help you get paid, like a free online store, digital invoices, and this other tool called Virtual Terminal that lets you charge credit cards with your web browser. No matter how you take payments with Square, you can get your money fast. That means instantly, the next day, or on your schedule. So whether you're looking for new ways to sell or just starting out, Square has the tools to help. See everything Square can do at square.com forward slash go forward slash ringer NBA. And now back to the mismatch. All right, Kev. So we do have to mention this before we get out of here. Billy Donovan got the Bulls job. When you saw that come across the wire, uh, what was the first thing you thought about? I'm excited to see him have a moldable team finally for the first time in the nba obviously you never want to not have russell westbrook and kevin durant on your team with your when you're with oklahoma city or never want to not have westbrook and paul george but fact is is that with all of those star players and even this year with the personnel you had he wasn't able to do what we saw him do for years at florida with that that was chris paul's team that was yeah, Chris so, Paul's yeah, team. For right? sure. And you know, and and what he did at Florida and what he has always wanted to do is have a lot of ball movement, a lot of cutting, lot like what we talked about, we want to see from the Lakers in fourth quarter yeah. is his movement. That's what his Florida teams did. 
that's what he did over his, I believe, 15 to almost 20 year college coaching career with two national championships to great success. So the Chicago with a bunch of guards, you know, some of them have played in different types of offenses with different styles, with bigs, with Carter and Markinen who can handle the ball and pass a little bit. This feels like an opportunity for him to install the type of offense that he's long wanted to. And so I look forward to seeing how his team performs and how some of these impressive young players develop within that system. I think it could be good for the youth on that team. They are not without talent. No, they're not. They're not. They should have been better this year, and that was the first thing that ran through my mind. Billy Donovan, whatever anybody wants to say about X's and O's, coaching, whatever your opinion is on him, the guy is a cool guy. Everybody likes Billy Donovan. The players like Billy Donovan. The management likes Billy Donovan. The media likes Billy Donovan. He's just an agreeable, like, he, he he's cool, and he's also somebody that everybody, he's charming guy, and people like him. And I thought. Player, players like him a lot, too. A lot of man, players Man, that dude's going to walk in yeah. that locker room after Jim Boylan, and they're going to think, oh, my God. <laughs> this is the greatest thing that has. He really is. He is a player's coach, yeah. right? And these guys. And you think about that. He hadn't had the easiest personalities no. to deal with. Not you know what all. I mean? Like, yes, you have to. There, There is. You have to do some real, uh, there's some psychological warfare that goes on, obviously, in retrospect, as we know with Durant leaving after the, you know, Durant Westbrook, uh, that that run. And then he brings in Paul George and he's got Westbrook and he's got Paul George. And then he's got Chris Paul, who is, I mean, a big personality, big personality in Chris Paul. And in order to, you know, he has managed stars very well to where they've come away liking him. Yeah. You know what I mean? Which is not the easiest thing to pull off. Usually there ends up being some headbutting, especially if you fell short. But I bet, I bet, I bet that Bulls team will love that guy. I don't know. Sure. I don't look, I don't think it's the greatest job in the world. I don't know how easy it'll be to win. At, in retrospect, now not knowing much about the guy they hired from Denver, I know this. Like, if 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 that guy is pretty responsible, along with Tim Conley, for putting together that Denver roster, he then, is. He is then, then he, then he, he is partially deserves. responsible for sure. Yeah, Arturis, yeah. uh, Arturis so, Car- Carsonovis. Uh, yeah. So look, he what he, they, he was he was he played internationally, one of the greatest international players ever, and. Think about Denver's success. I know drafting international talent. It's partially also due to Tim Conley, who was an international scout prior to the position he now has running Denver's front office. But those two guys working in tandem together have deep connections there to get the right intel on guys. Like there are some teams who didn't draft Jokic because of the weight problems, because of lack of conditioning and concerns about that. There are some teams who had intel on Jokic. They're like, yeah, he's he's a little chubby, but. He works his ass off. Here are some real examples for you to understand who he is. And that's where Carson Ovis with Chicago hiring Billy Donovan, a guy he, at least as far as I understand, had no prior relationship, shows that he really stood out to him as the right candidate for the job because he could have hired Wes Unsell Jr., a Denver assistant coach, and he ended up choosing Billy Donovan. Um, Obviously, to correct myself earlier, Donovan coached 21 years in college, not – uh, oh, 15 wow. to 20. Um, and, you know, it's just going to be interesting to see what happens with Chicago here. They've 
changed the front office. They've changed the coaching staff. And what's probably next is changes to the roster. Oh, of course it will, because it doesn't fit. Yep. I mean, I saw them, you know. Yeah, you they get make they, they get good players, but they the 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 mix isn't right. No, no, the mix isn't right. I mean, because it's you've got to choose between Zach Levine and Kobe White. And you've got you to think choose. So. You, yes. you think why is that? I, I just don't think that that's never going to be your backcourt. You know what I mean? And I view both of them as starting level players in the NBA. And so I don't think that in the absence of, unless you're going to just decide, hey, Kobe White's going to be a bench guy for me. You know, I love Wendell Carter. We both did coming out of the draft. Markinen is now a, a project because he, he was he, he so good lost. out of he the box and was so terrible last year. But I mean, they've got some, they've got some players and they've got some pieces. Certainly, you just got to choose which ones you want to build around. Mm-hmm. And there's something there for sure. For sh- no doubt about it. And it's going to be exciting if you're a Bulls fan thinking about, oh yeah, finally. I bet it's Levine. Office. I bet I bet it's Levine they move off of. That's interesting. I, ah. I think you could probably get the most for him, don't you? You could definitely get the most for him for yeah. sure. And by the way, I asked, but I I agree with you that I think long term, it's inevitable inevitable that you're going to have to trade one of those guys to get the right piece. And whoever it ends up being probably will have a lot to do with what happens this coming season. How does Zach Levine get better on defense under Billy Donovan? Does his playmaking improve to the point where it's like, oh, he's more than just a scorer? Wow. I mean, because he can pass a little bit, but he's not a great passer. And with White, does he make further development? Inefficient scorer, uh, both in college and in his first year in the NBA. What changes there for him? And how do they adapt in the system that Donovan is going to try to install and that the front office intends to build. So we'll see after this coming season, but it's it's exciting to see what the Bulls are going to be. His name was bandied about, you know, as were a million names that have been with the Philly job. Uh, yeah. To every you name. mentioned <laughs> Mike D'Antoni. And I just, I've been, I've, I've always thought that it's going to, it's either going to be him or Ty Lue that gets that New Orleans job simply because of the Griffin connection. Obviously, D'Antoni was connected to Griffin in Phoenix during that seven seconds or less era. Ty Lue connected to him from the Cleveland era. Um, but what is this Mike D'Antoni? I can't imagine a worse fit than Mike D'Antoni with Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. Yeah, so I, I reported Tuesday or Wednesday uh, that rumblings of Mike D'Antoni going to the Sixers have gotten louder I mean, it had previously been reported by somebody, I believe Woj, it was probably Woj and, you know, Haynes and Shams and everybody, yeah. Stein and everybody, um, that there's interest there between D'Antoni and the Sixers. But it does seem like this week, now that we have the second round of interviews with Lou, with D'Antoni, and with Billy Donovan, who, of course, is going to Chicago, that things are getting louder, that it could be D'Antoni. Is it getting louder because, you know, his agent... Warren Legary is leaking things out to try to increase leverage to get more money from New Orleans or to get more money from another team like Indiana. It's been quiet with the Pacers recently, if you haven't noticed. Yeah. I haven't heard a lot about that since it first came out weeks ago. Um, is it that? Will there be a surprise team that pops up out of nowhere? Does New Orleans suddenly, boom, one day it's Tony hired? We'll see. I'm, I, I'm not reporting that he's going to Philly, but it's gotten louder this week. Which is really interesting considering, as you just said, Chris, what a weird fit 
D'Antoni, the guy seven seconds for seven seconds or less sons with the Houston Rockets. Oh my goodness. What was it like on Hoops Hype or one of those? It was like the thought is that he uh that you know that James Harden might could follow him there, right? And like maybe an Embiid for Harden deal could take place. And I was like, what in the heck is going on? Like, no. what? If you wanted to if you want to be James Harden's coach, why didn't he just try to keep his job in Houston? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I didn't, I didn't really know what was going on. But yeah, Simmons and Embiid with Mike D'Antoni, like that does not feel that, I mean, that does not feel on, like a fit. On paper, great for Ben Simmons. You have a guy who coached the seven seconds or less sons, who coached James Harden and the Houston Rockets with their unorthodox system that nobody's ever done in league history. But for Joel Embiid, it's going to be really odd here considering D'Antoni hasn't, you know, played the style with his good teams. The Sun, that being the Suns and the Rockets. He's coached other teams, the Lakers and the Knicks. They were not good. I'm talking about only two teams, Suns and Rockets, the teams he's had success he, with. Hey, you and, and know I, what's I just, crazy? I just, it just what makes me wonder. You know what's crazy? And we've joked about this a million times. Like, that every job that's come open for the last decade has been attached to Jeff Van Gundy. Like, Jeff Van Gundy's got the best PR ever. Every job. That comes up, but it's like Jeff Van Gundy, maybe Jeff Van Gundy. But like, if if Philly hired Jeff Van Gundy, that is the one where I'd be like, you know what? That actually makes sense to me. Like, I think, like, I like that feels like he feel. It feels Philly. It feels like you know, it's not you know with if the, assuming they're keeping their pieces, it's. If you have Ben Simmons and you have Joel Embiid and you have Tobias Harris, uh, and then who knows what you could do with Horford? It's you're not playing not a lot. You're not, not lot. playing modern. <laughs> like you're never going to be modern offense, spread it out, shoot a t- like you're just not. That's not what you're best at, and you shouldn't. And so, almost like the old school coach to me, actually is the one time it really does make sense because. There's there's a limit to how much you can propel to the future given your personnel, and he coached the team with Yao Ming and Tracy McGrady, and he like I mean I'm just saying if there was like one of those names of like the what we think of as the old school guys, I think Philly would actually be the fit for somebody like that rather than you know the Kenny Atkinsons and the you know the fly up and down the court. You know, the Darvin Hams of the world, the guys that are up and coming and are going to play this new NBA style. To your point, what if the hiring isn't as much about the 2021 season as it is about the next five years? And maybe over the next five years, you know, at some point you're going to have to split this up internally. You have a strong sense that that's a path you're going to go down. And maybe you think the guy you're going to choose is Ben Simmons. You might know that if you're the Sixers internally. And that would probably inform the coach that you want to hire that can best maximize Ben Simmons. And that that's Bro. what I was getting at earlier when I said, I kind of wonder if maybe that's the mindset there. Ben Simmons would average 27, <laughs> 18, and 16 playing for if – you, if you got rid of Embiid and he, it was Mike D'Antoni, <laughs> the numbers Ben Simmons would put up playing for D'Antoni and running the show there would be yeah. 
insanity. I'm just, that's what I'm saying. That's, oh, God. That's getting him going at. downhill yeah. all the time. Mm-hmm. But that would mean you're moving off Embiid. Um, I know. You're probably getting a hell of a lot for Joel Embiid. One of the best centers in basketball. Maybe only worse than AD and Nikola Jokic. And Giannis, if you want to consider him a big two. I mean, you get a lot for Embiid from some teams that have draft picks or young players or veterans even that they're willing to shift for a big or a different guy. Think about think about it. I mean, it's a path that Philly could go down. And if you're a Sixers fan, like obviously you're super frustrated with everything that's happening and the way you just keep losing and the way those guys don't fit. But maybe if it's a D'Antoni type of hiring, it, it indicates future intentions. And it would hurt to lose a guy like Joel. He's awesome. I mean, I, I can't imagine what it's like being a young kid rooting for I'm already right barfing you know? thinking about, I'm already barfing thinking about a Andrew Wiggins, Draymond Green, and oh, something else deal. Oh my God. No way. No, don't. <laughs> what are you talking about? Elton Brand has been horrible. Like there's no trade off the table. I, <laughs> what, what makes you think that he's going to get maximum value for anything? I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I'm just, I'm just saying like offers would get thrown at you to a point that hopefully you're not just taking the first one. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I feel like, I feel like you and I could handle the Embiid negotiations. You know what you I'm would saying? Think, you would think, <laughs> Hey, look, we, sh- we could have handled the whole Sixer situation better than it's been. I mean, I promise you this, there's no way I'm giving $180 million to Tobias Harris and I ain't giving a hundred million or whatever the hell it was to Al Horford. And like, they just done goofy thing after goofy ass thing. So sometimes like, the hardest moves are the most important moves a franchise can make. And for Philly, I think it can work in some world with Embiid and Simmons. I don't think that's going to be Philly in time before it's too late really? for those two. Wow, they got to they got to make a lot of changes. I mean, think about it. Uh, we were talking about Chris Paul. That's the idea I've been hammering since I know, January. I don't. I've, I've been hammering it, but that's a 35-year-old point guard we're resorting to here, you know? I just think, look, I think they effed that thing up. Where uh, They effed it up with those stupid-ass signings. Kev, they had it. They had it with Jimmy Butler I and know. J.J. Reddick. I know. They had it. They were a shot away. They had it. Yep. Yeah, like it's not it that is. hard. I, know. I mean, everybody can say <laughs> yeah. like, "Oh, it's hard to build around." Them. It ain't hard. They just f the thing up. Yeah. Like, like they. Next thing you know, you got friggin' Shake Milton starting for you. You know, it's <laughs> like, what is happening? Like, you were right there. Yeah. Yeah. Like, all you got to do is four bounces away from advancing, and you maybe know, fi- you lose the next series, but you were right there. Yeah, find you, find you some shooters, and find you mm. some, you know, a, a perimeter guy that gives you everything he's got you know like a, a mm-hmm. big time player and it's like jeez this isn't this isn't the hardest job in the world you've been handed these two amazing yeah. talents you just you built around them as badly as you could build around them seriously last season Brett Brown lost that locker room with Butler and Reddick and you know and Embiid and Simmons that team he lost the locker room Go back in time. I wonder if Philly goes to Jimmy Butler and says, hey, we'll make a change of head coach. You know, we want you to be part of this franchise. We feel like we can win with you. Let's do this. Let's make this happen. Let's get the right pieces here around you guys. You're right there. I wonder if he stays in that situation. And right now, maybe Philly's in the Eastern Conference Finals with Joel, with Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons and Jimmy Butler and J.J. Redick with a chance to go to the finals. Maybe they're the team that's up 3-1 on Boston right now. 
Maybe they are. Oh, they were there. Totally plausible. Mm -hmm. Given the Eastern Conference finals we're looking at right now, it's totally plausible that they Mm -hmm. could have been right back there, especially with Kawhi gone. Yep. That's the only thing that stood in their way last year. They might have been there if it weren't for him. And by the way, Philly is another team. This is why before the season, I picked the Sixers to make the finals, which was dead wrong. (laughs) But they're another team, sort of like the Heat, that is built to give Giannis and the Bucks problems. They have a bunch of guys they can throw at him on that roster. And, you know, they weren't weren't in position to actually beat that team. Um, But with Philly, I I still feel like if you're going to salvage this, it's probably Chris Paul. It's probably Chris Paul because he allows you to run high pick and roll with Ben Simmons. He allows you to run high pick and roll. He allows you to run pick and roll, period, which they haven't done a lot of for years. They got to have that. Never mind the ISO scoring with his perimeter creation ability. If I'm the Sixers and if I'm the Bucks, I'm going after Chris Paul. I agree with you. I can't believe we're going to agree again. But we'll end it. We'll end. We'll end it on a high note. Uh, thank you to producer Sasha as always, and we will talk to everybody next week. Have a great weekend, everybody. Fantasy football is back. And you don't want your team to suck. My favorite fantasy football punishment I've ever heard is the last place guy had to spend 24 hours in a waffle house and every (laughs) waffle he ate was one hour off of his count. I want numbers. How many did he end up eating? 12 waffles in 12 hours. (laughs) I'm Danny Heifetz. I'm Danny Kelly. And I'm Craig Horlbeck. We host the Ringer Fantasy Football Show on the Ringer Podcast Network. To avoid eating 12 waffles in a waffle house, follow the Ringer Fantasy Football Show on Spotify.